UX Podcast Episode 191. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson and Per Axbom. We've listeners in 176 countries, from Vietnam to Latvia. Right, Kevin Cannon. He's a principal designer at Frog, specializing in interaction design. He has designed medical devices, smart home products, and museum exhibitions. And as his bio says, has laughed and cried in many usability tests along the way. Today we talked to Kevin about his UX LX workshop, Ergonomy for UX Design. I do struggle to say that word. I think ergonomics I can say better, but ergonomy I struggle with. Um, I didn't even know that was a word. Right. (laughs) Well, it's about the um, challenges we face as screens start to appear on all kinds of devices, from refrigerators to coffee machines and and everywhere from museums to shopping centres. Many of the conventions and patterns we usually rely on as designers don't apply in these contexts. I raced from an airport and then came straight into um, your workshop um, about um, um, ergonomy for, for UX designers. Um, I think you said uh, that you know, we're used to di- designing for apps and websites, mm. but, but that landscape's going to change quite rapidly and we're going to be asked to design all kinds of things that are, um, that are placed in physical context or what, what, what's ahead of us I think we're going to see much more um, much more of this kind of middle space you know on the one side you have product design or industrial design um, and then you have traditional UX and there's this middle space that's becoming more like at a basic level we're putting screens in everything you know it's, it's a bit more nuanced than that you know you see things like museums kiosks and the skill set that we have naturally of you know designing screens for apps when you put it into this into this sort of area just doesn't quite 100% work. You're, you get 80% there, but often you copy patterns from this other world, that do, and you don't question some fundamentals. So I think, I think we'll increasingly see where we're designing these things, and we'll need to sort of, you know, leverage these new kind of, I guess, develop these new skills. Mm-hmm. So I mean, when 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 you hear the the, the word. Um, economics, or mm. y- you, you instantly, of course, think of those those sessions you have at the workplace where someone mm. comes around and they they give you a kind of telling off, basically, or yeah. give you advice that you know don't sit slouched over like this, sit properly like this. Mm. Um, what kind of things are we actually talking about? Um, yeah, uh, probably one of the biggest themes and the one that's easiest to start from is accessibility. So if you have a, a kiosk, let's say um, an airline check-in kiosk, um, in that situation. You need to design for a much wider range of users. You need to design um, potentially for children, small or even small people, people in wheelchairs, extremely tall people. Um, it's not just about disabilities, it's about being accessible to a wide range of people. And then you have a question where usually the kiosk has been somewhat already designed and then you're coming in and designing you know, maybe the screen and how do you deal with that? So you know, a small example is if someone's really tall or really small and they're looking at a screen, um, the spacing between lines, if that's really, really tight, when you're looking at that at an angle, the text gets compressed together. So by adding spacing, then you can see it from any angle. So that's a very simple example. Mm. Right, so it's, yeah, so it's not just 
it's not just a matter of kind of work, work and you reach. When you see yeah. a child, you're thinking, well, of course they can't reach high mm. up on a, a touchscreen. Yeah. Um, and a tall person maybe can't reach down to the, the bottom mm. bit. But you know, it's also about the um, the, the spacing of, mm. of design elements yeah. on that interface. Yeah, th- that's kind of, I think there's probably two main parts. There's a few different components, but one of it is the, uh, the interact interaction bit can you interact with it um, and then can you kind of read it you know and and also there's additional things when it's in a physical space is um, we sometimes talk about the the three read um, that everything has three reads um, and what that means is one is sort of the 30 meters one is the three meters and then one is standing right beside it mm. so especially vertical signs they often are advertising you know, th- they're at the 30 meters, they go into a sort of screensaver mode and they become advertising. Then the three meters, you need to maybe attract someone to tell them that they can touch this. You know, is it an advertisement or, or is it uh, that's not interactive or is it an actual interactive display that also has information about that location? And then obviously there's the main, w- once you get through that, you're actually interacting with it and, and then you have all those challenges as well. Yeah, so, so you have to, yeah, so from a distance, certain things got to be readable mm. and visual from... 30 meters more. Yeah, right. and if you think in something like a context of um, maybe public transport, mm. um, not only is it readable, but you're also, when you're thinking about the use cases and what you want to do with it, you, uh, you know, from 30 meters, you might be able to provide information about when the no- next bus is coming. You probably can't read it from 30 meters, but maybe there's a color code that gives you a quick hint in certain scenarios. There's new ways of interacting with something from afar. Um, now, it's, it's a one-way interaction, but it's still like, that says something, I learn something, and then I can... I can take something from that and do some kind of action. So there's a lot of opportunities that we don't normally think in this type of way as designers. You know, it's one person, single user, interacting with a personal device that you own and have configured in your own way. And this sort of breaks a lot of those rules. Most of those things don't apply in the public space. So what other challenges are we meeting as designers when we walk into that space? Is Do we need to learn new things to be able to appropriately, appropriately design for these contexts? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is about questioning assumptions um, and questioning design patterns. That's probably the biggest part. There's, you know, maybe I would say 90% of it is the same as before. It's not a case where you have to reinvent your skill set entirely. But there is situations where there's things that we don't commonly do as designers, especially if if you're used to designing apps and websites. You let's say you want to design a navigation pattern. Most of the time, you'll go look at a bunch of websites. You'll see, okay, there's roughly three navigation patterns. Which is best for my solution? And then you use it. Same with apps. It's rare that you're inventing new types of navigation models. But if you're asked to design a kiosk, you can't really take that because one, it's hard to find that information um, because it, th- these are there's not that many still, and there's no one who's got a pattern library for interactive kiosks online. Maybe they will in the future. But when you're designing an entirely new navigation model, like where do you put the back button is a very simple example. Is there a home button? Um, You know, you can't copy it from the iPhone and say it's from the top and put it in the top left. That won't work. So then, okay, I put it in the bottom left. But what does that mean? Does that have any implications? And this is something that I think most, um, most designers haven't really trained that muscle of creating navigation models. And that's something that you have to do. And it's if the next time you're on like an airline, for example, and you're browsing the movies, look at that and you will see there will be lots of mistakes often because someone just copied something and they never really played through it. Yeah. So I quite like that it's the ergonomics thing that you have as a title for your workshop mm. because when I started talking uh, about usability way back mm. <laughs> 20 years ago, 
that came out of ergonomics. Yeah. So yeah. that's what, how we had. Mm. That's why we have our industry. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's now it's like we're coming back to it. <laughs> yeah. Rediscovering that part of why we exist to yeah. begin with. Yeah, it's super interesting. And like one of the bits that I'm most passionate about, which is, is unfortunately very rare that you get projects like this, but where you, or you actually have hybrid projects, you know, where yeah. you have, say, you know, medical devices. Anyone who works in the medical space, there's a lot of projects like this where you have like this mixture between a digital screen or maybe two screens and some physical controls. Mm. Um, and if you can get involved as a, a UX designer into the industrial design um, and to some extent and work through that process too, that's really, really fascinating when you get to really figure out what, you know, what do those knobs and dials do as mm. well. That's always the, the holy grail. You mentioned a few things um, during the workshop, which are fascinating. Um, um, prime pixels mm. and um, what's mm. the other thing? Prime, uh, prime pixels and prime edges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's a tricky one to explain without a picture, but uh, let's see if we well, can. We can, we, <laughs> we, we can always add links to things um, in the show notes to help people. Sure. But, um, try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it comes back down to this basic UX law called Fitz Law. Right. Um, and this is fairly straightforward. It means if you're using, imagine you've got a desktop interface for now. So if you have a mouse and you have two buttons, one button is small and far away and one button is big and nearer, it's easier for you to move your hand and move the mouse and hit the big button that's close. It's, it's fairly strand, standard, yeah. right? Big target, not, not far to move to get to it. Yeah, Exactly, like that's common sense actually. Um, but it's someone measured it a long time ago. Actually, in the ergonomics world, it was actually originally to do with mechanical engineering and then it turned out that applies also to keyboard and mice. I remember somebody blowing my mind just by pointing out, we put always put the navigation in the left-hand side back mm. in the 90s. Yeah. And then somebody pointed out, well, you have the scroll bar over on the right. Mm. So all the time you have to be moving across the screen with your arm, yeah. which is ergonomics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is often there's these things happen by yeah. accident. So. Yeah. so, yeah, so the prime pixels is, is about trying to leverage those things. So if you imagine that in the four corners of a desktop computer with a mouse, it's very easy for you to move the mouse into any of those four corners because you just sort of roll your hand to the top right and you don't have to worry about hitting that corner you just roll it and it just stops in the corner. Yeah, so, mm. so we've got like a um, like a muscle memory or mechanical exactly, um, yeah. trigger there that we can just move our arm and we're yeah. very good at placing it in these extremes. Yeah, exactly. And so if you look at Windows, for example, they have the start button in the bottom left menu. And if you look very carefully, I think it's n not different in Windows 10, but in previous versions of Windows, you know, the X isn't actually in the, r the bottom left-hand corner. It's a few pixels in. Um, and if you go to really, really old versions of Windows, when you click the very bottom left pixel, nothing happened because you weren't clicking on the actual graphic of the button. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think in maybe Windows 95 or so or 98, they change it. So you're not clicking on the graphic of the button, but it still opens the start menu. Mm -hmm. And the same in the top right is the close menu. And I think on Apple, it's the top left is the Apple menu. So operating systems tend to use these corners very well. And that's because these are these essentially like these giant infinite-sized buttons that are really easy to easy to kind of hit. Mm -hmm. And then the flip side is um, on mobile devices or touchscreen touch devices, yeah. where you you can't use the corners because it's not actually easy that easy to hit the corner in the same way. But you have the edges, so we call them prime edges, and then you c that means you can slide things in or out of the edges really easy. Mm -hmm. So now both I think both iOS and Android has a swipe gesture from the left, which takes you back to the previous screen. 
Um, and that's really easy because you don't need to look at anything. You can actually do it with your eyes closed, literally. Um, and that's because it's just a really easy gesture for you. Uh, because you've got a tact, I, I presume, because you've got a, and now I'm going to pick up my mobile phone to, mm. to demonstrate. So you've, got, you've actually got a tactile edge. Yeah. There's a, there is an edge, physical yeah. edge to the And it's screen. big, yeah. relatively so you, speaking. You, you, run your, you place your finger off the edge of the phone and run it yeah. across the screen. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, and so you also like um, I, you know, um, the iPhone 10 is using gestures extremely, um, you know, because they got rid of the home button. So now you have you swipe up from the bottom edge of the screen to open the uh, to, uh, to go back to the home screen, and then you swipe from the top to bring down the sort of uh, what used to be the c control center, I think it's called, um, or mission control. Um, and that's basically because these are things are easy to use. You don't need mm -hmm. to look anymore, or you don't need to be accurate. And that's something to do with the physical nature of our bodies and the screens. Yeah. What then happens is, which is happening to me lots of times mm -hmm. now, is cause I usually swipe from the top on my iPhone mm -hmm. to get that menu. Mm -hmm. But sometimes apps have open windows that you have to swipe down on mm -hmm. to close them. Yeah. So I can be like one centimeter off mm -hmm. when I'm swiping down. So and the wrong thing happens. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really yeah. really important. Is mm -hmm. like uh, this is where. You're not going to ever see really, I think, see individual app developers sort of fix those things. Mm -hmm. And this is where you, you know, there's an opportunity for that to be fixed at an operating system level, so that it gives a sort of tolerance level where it can maybe do a better guess at mm -hmm. what you wanted. But yeah. it's a challenge where, you know, if you, I mean, there's some things you can do. Like if you saw that consistently happening in in your app, you know, mm -hmm. can you make your title bar a little bit bigger? Yeah. So that you just by default will start lower because that's where the text or the page starts. Mm. Um, you see this a lot when people are browsing um, using Safari because it's mm. got a very thin bar at the bottom. So it's really often when you watch them when they're scrolling up and they're scrolling up and then boop, yeah. the menu pops up. Given all, all this background about um, ergonomics and, and, and prime edges mm. and how, how, we, how we interact with objects and placement, that leads on to... The, the the premise of the workshop mm. I sat through was that you you basically encouraged us you I suppose you commanded us to to make sure we prototype mm. the 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 physical f space that we're going to mm. be designing for yeah yeah that's really I think the most important thing is to act it out you know um, and act it out in complicated ways like sort of challenge yourself because. The classic thing is you're sitting there, you know, in, on your desk with the with the UI in front of you, and we talk about prototyping. And so these days we've got very good UI prototyping tools, you know, like Envision, Framer, etc. Um, and we've got quite good at that, and we're getting to a reasonably mature ecosystem there. But if you're suddenly designing something, say like a, an airline entertainment system, um, it'll be really tempting to to sort of design it upload it to a prototyping tool and then start clicking on it with the mouse maybe you put it in a tablet mm -hmm. but you know what you really want to do is mock, get some chairs mock them up so that they're a little bit cramped like an airline mm -hmm. put your tablet onto onto something that's roughly the same space and then start using it and then try it with a really tall person then try it maybe you can get a child to do user testing and really learn from it because like I said because this is a new area there's not that much um, best practice that you can copy so if you don't if you don't um, if you don't have best practice to copy, then you need really need to do user testing, mm. and you need to do user testing in context. Mm. Um, you obviously probably can't go into an airline to do it, um, but you can get something pretty close, I think. Mm. And you played you played a, a, a fun video of you doing some <laughs> some prototype some quick prototyping um, with a project you were doing yeah. for an in, in car entertainment system. Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm going to describe it for you now. Mm. When you, you you were sat there in a chair yeah. uh, with an iPad stuck to the wall in front of you, and you were you were testing kind of 
doing gestures on on the the iPad exactly, while a colleague yeah. mm. just <laughs> violently shook the, yeah. the chair to kind of simulate driving down down yeah. the road. Um, but but that resonated. I mean, it made me think about how how many times myself, you know, you've been sat in. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, even just try trying to click something on a navigator mm. when you're when you're driving to kind of like you know cancel a warning or, or mm. put a map back on because something's something's opened up and taken over yeah. instead of the map that was there. Yeah. You kind of you're you're all over like this, you know, yeah. your hands going everywhere, and um, you know you miss targets really easily. Yeah, so that, that gives you puts you really in context. Yeah, very doing much. Doing that little so. quick test. Yeah, and there's other things as well, like like in the workshop, one of the things I said to some of the groups was they designed they designed a UI and one team they had a keyboard and it was a really big screen it was a b over a meter wide and they'd made the keyboard really big and when they were acting it out they were using two hands to press the keys mm. oh yeah and yeah. and I was like okay okay try this in a different way so how can you how can you make that a little bit better how can you make that more real in your own actions and I didn't really give them an exact brief I said maybe put on your coat maybe put on your backpack mm. and then I went off and then when I came back to them They'd, the brief they'd give themselves was a parent. So they put on a coat, they put on um, a sort of a, like a bag, and then they, they held another bag in their other arm as if they had a child. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then they tried to use it, and then when they acted out, they realized, oh, this really, really wide keyboard was great for one-handed, or for two-handed use, but was terrible for one-handed. Uh, one mm. And so then they made the keyboard much, much smaller, so it could just be used with one hand pointing a finger. Um, and it could still be used two-handed, but by acting that out, they they learned something that they wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Mm. And I, th I think it's fascinating. I mean, the amount of times, and I know when, when me and you pair visited organisations to, to like do interviews and so on, that you sign in at the beginning, we've talked about it, that the, the check-in systems at receptions, mm. they're, they're more often than not these days, the modern buildings anyway, mm. it's a touch screen, mm. you've got to write your name, you've got to say mm. your company you're from, and you yeah, get a badge yeah, printed yeah. out automatically. Mm. And you know, I, I think every time I was about how whoever designed them mm. they've not designed them with any real idea of the yeah. of the displays that are going to be connected ah, um, yeah. that they've they've probably been designed for four three screens mm. a few years ago yeah. and now these receptions some of them have gone big screens kind of should yeah. be looking a bit mm. more impressive when you come into the office there's like a screen like this so so my name you know the first name is James so so we've got J A is mm. two ends of the keyboard and then the surname has mm. Lawson in it yeah. that's an L and an A mm. so so I'm I'm having to t turn my head mm. to 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 look at the keyboard to yeah. press the the buttons because it's been mm. it's been stretched yeah. um, probably unknown to yeah. the designer because it's just been it's on that display now. Yeah, yeah, it's probably like a web browser in the background and they didn't know. Yeah, what's yeah. interesting there is I believe there is actually like measurements in CSS that are actual physical measurements. So theoretically, you could say make this keyboard no more than ten centimeters. Um, but I think it's just not something that, like you said, they designed it for one thing and then it got connected to larger displays and now it's a three or four year old piece of software. Yeah. But, but they also haven't acted it out, like you were saying. Yes. Cause so what happens is, because we always visit two and two then if we're visiting together. So you're behind the other guy, then you have to type your name. You're visiting the same person, mm. but that's not, you. Ha then you have to type the person you're visiting again. Mm. Or search I mean, for them again. If you could just act that out, three mm. people, then in line, mm. of course, you'll realize that, yes, keep the name. Yeah. You have an option, add another person to the same visit. Or, yeah. you, start, mm. or you start by saying, how many people are visiting? Yeah. So, so you, <laughs> yeah. you put, the th yeah. put the flow right. Yeah. But, but no, yeah, mm. I, I, there, are, there are certainly ways of, of mm. understanding the variation, or assessing what size screen is, 
um, is the target now. And I think we need to be much better maybe at, at not just testing out and prototyping, but, but learning to work and design with that. So we mm. work in proportions. We yeah. work more fluid in our designs. So yeah. like you pointed out, help them with the keyboard size. Yeah. I mean, that makes complete sense and it works. Mm. So then we've got to make sure that it gets implemented like that. So it goes, okay, if it's a three foot display, don't display a keyboard more than you know, exactly, 30, yeah. 40 centimeters wide. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's that complicated it's just not really a muscle that we've trained mm. as a as a practice i suppose yeah so but i think it's something we'll have to do more and more so yeah uh, yes as, as the as the end point becomes more varied mm. and um mysterious <laughs> <laughs> um I, I guess it's, it's completely unavoidable yeah yeah is that, I mean, for me, the, the, my biggest takeaway here is acting it out. Because I'm, yeah. I'm realizing the more, more and more that we're not thinking about how their things are being used. Yeah. And then we're saying, oh, we don't have time to do usability tests. Yeah. But there are ways to experiment with actually creating an illusion of you're in that environment yeah. and actually understanding so much more than you can figure out by just with Post-its or whatever, yeah. Yeah. brainstorming. Yeah, and one, one thing that like I think you can also do is, I think, is you can recreate the environment in clever ways which are not expensive ways mm. so let's say let's say even you're doing a very classic um app based project mm. but something that's in a bit of a different context so let's say you're doing something that's going to be used in an airport and you want to do user testing it might just be with your colleagues then maybe that's all you have the time to do mm. um but you know could you set up a room where someone walks in just move around the tables and chairs to sort of simulate a check-in maybe draw a quick poster and then maybe you can get some sound from an actual airport, uh, just on YouTube or something. Mm. Play that sound kind of loud, make the person a bit stressed, and then ask them to walk through that. Give them a bag, very importantly. And then so suddenly you'll see, oh, everyone's using this app with their left hand mm. because they're pulling their bag with the, the little wheelie bag with their right hand. Okay, so first of all, you know, okay, people are li reasonably likely to use their weak hand with this app. What does that mean? And that's different than, say, for example, um, a video uh, app. If you're making a video app that's probably not going to be used while you're walking, that has different ergonomics than something that's going to be used in an airport on the go where you likely have luggage. So by acting all of that out, you might not know all of that. So just but but just by simulating that environment, you'll suddenly realize, oh, okay, using <laughs> the left <laughs> hand, right? Never thought of that. Um, and someone th and they're stressed, so yeah. they don't have the same kind of tolerance for failure as they might in a different situation. So exactly, it's very easy to yeah to act it out and. Mm. And also to give you more empathy for the users, which is what we always talk about. Right. I think too that we. Um, it's another example of how if I think it feels like we should be including um, other key competencies earlier, you know, early on in the design process. Like um, when we're talking about physical installations of screens and things, then you know, engineers and fitters mm. who work with the screens, mm. or maybe even architects who yeah. are or, or planners who mm -hmm. are planning the spaces. Yeah. I mean, they they really need to be involved. Because um, yeah. I think in the workshop we had the specifications. Yeah. I mean, my group, we had we, we just basically hit a, a, a brick wall constantly because the 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 target device we had was a table, mm. um, ginormous thing, and whenever we started trying to design. We just we just had so many questions to mm. do with the actual physical context it was yeah. going to be in. Could we could we eliminate could we answer certain questions if this was going to be against a wall? Mm. Yeah, with three edges rather than four. Mm. I mean, is it going to have like stairs up to it or sort of ramp up to it or you know how do we solve the child and w mm. wheelchair? There were so many answers. Mm. But if we'd included, if we had someone that mm. was in the, the the fitting side of it or in the designing side of it, the architect yeah. side of it, then yeah. we'd have been able to do a much better job. 
in half an hour. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think one thing is that you don't always have the answers to those. But the nice thing is that if you can make a quick mock up, even just with a piece of paper and a piece of cardboard, and then your client or your stakeholder comes in, it's 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 way easier to get them to engage in that conversation. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, why do you need to talk to the architect? He might, pay, you know, he might charge me or she might charge me if I have to. Uh, if you're going to have to sort of talk to them and they're afraid of things like that and you know the architecture plans are already a bit late so they don't want to involve you so you have to show value so if you can actually show this mock-up and say hey we have all these questions yeah. they might see the value in connecting you um whereas otherwise they might just feel like it's it's not worth yeah. um, anyone's time yeah. so by having you know even you know getting people to act out mocking stuff up in even a very light way you can drive conversations um yeah. you know much further and faster than they would happen otherwise yeah, absolutely that was um I mean, I I think without without making the physical mock up mm. of that table to see the sheer dimensions, um, I think we'd have ploughed on designing something mm. the, the whole of the session. Yeah, and we saw the difference. The ones the ones in the group in our, our workshop that had um, had a less ambiguous mm. um, device, something yeah. that was clearly going to be used in a certain mm. certain way, they came. They they really did a lot more design. They mm. they'd got a lot deeper into the flows and a, yeah. a lot more you know, detailed design mm. um, yeah. compared to us. So so we I suppose we had delivered value in that we'd got really quickly in thirty minutes. Mm. We'd got to the point where we need help from a very you know, to answer questions. We need other experts to come here and fill yeah. in the gaps. Yeah. Mm. And that's that's cheap. Yeah. And that's what I and that like you know all of this that I went through is exactly the process that I've gone through on these types of projects where where you know we did something we're like oh. Okay, and I'm fortunate that I work with industrial designers, so I was often able to kind of go to them and go, hey, can I get your opinion? And they're like, you know, ergonomics is their bread and butter. So they'd be like, oh, yeah, you should think of this and this. And I could kind of pull them in from time to time and they would give us feedback. So um, I went through the exact same process. And that's yeah. kind of, yeah, that's why I just decided to do the workshop as well. Because it's, it's, I was like, what did I, what, what do I know? What have I learned and gone through that other people might also find interesting? Mm. I think it's excellent that you've 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 shared that with um, with us in the community. Great way to uncover aha moments. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. So when Kevin was was talking about uh, what he called the three reads, like when you you were seeing the kiosk from thirty meters away, and then from three meters away, and then you're actually interacting with it, you're actually having seeing different interfaces along the way because at first it's trying to attract you and then it's welcoming you and then you're actually interacting with it that made me think of human interaction perhaps at a disco where you see someone from 30 meters away uh, who you find attractive so you're actually attracting that person to go forward towards you uh, as you're walking along the way you're trying to judge are they interested in me or are they not then you start talking to them from three meters (laughs) away and then you realize yes i'm now confident enough that i will ask this person to dance and then you start interacting with that person uh, mm. So it all made me think that perhaps, well, again, of course, that interaction is all about s- being able to connect with a technological device as if it was a person almost. Uh, but also in the end, is that where we're maybe going? That we're actually, these kiosks will have faces and the faces will be made to be attracted to me because they will probably know who I am as well by <laughs> facial recognition of me. So, yeah. I mean... And maybe that's even one way of acting out. How, what is it that I find attractive about a person from 30 meters away? What happens in, uh, psychologically and mentally and physically? Yeah, because when it boils, that, when it boils yeah. down to it, we're, yeah. we're just into that mm. fundamental thing of, of, of signal response. Mm. You, you, you know, you've, you've got to be able to signal at 30 meters 
and the response is then coming closer. You've got yeah. to go to signal at three meters. The response is then coming up and touching the screen. Um, so you could have you know, a kiosk I, with an arm with a finger beckoning you. Yeah, you could. <laughs> but but, on, a, but on, a more, on a more simple level, I mean, uh, what that means for design is that you, mm. from 30 meters away, mm. you have to have elements of the screen. So even if you're not having an, an, an adaptive one like you're talking about, if mm. just a, a, more, a more basic design, that elements of the screen have to be visible from 30 meters away. Yes. Or it could be that when someone's... Because someone could be stood in front of that um, terminal using it. Yes. If it's a museum, for example, mm. then they're already using it. So from 30 meters away, there has to be an element visible mm. despite the fact someone stood in front of it using it. That can mm. maybe help you understand what's, what's going on, maybe. Exactly, yes. And I like that aspect of what he said, actually, that in this environment you are multiple people using the same device sometimes at the same time sometimes you're standing next to someone and just seeing so there's a lot of stuff going on more than if you're designing a one-to-one interface where you're all always seeing one person as the one user of the interface but there's a lot of people going around and moving around so there's yeah. a physical aspect of it that's really interesting as you, as you heard from the from the interview i mean i was i really did enjoy the um um, um the, the, the workshop and um, it, it really did open your mind up to, to so many questions when you start physically making a prototype of the of the space that you're going to be designing for. Um, the questions just come, um, and I think even though we've made we've made huge inroads into prototyping um, using using prototyping tools for our designs, you know we, we've got plenty of web 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 um, products where you can upload designs and suddenly it's clickable and you can take it out with your mobile and yeah. yeah, whatever. Um, send it to clients. They're going to get them to click on it and test it. But I think we've we've got a huge amount of uh, progress left to make when it comes to to the f- the physical prototyping or more making use of contexts. Yes, and daring uh, to do that because I think yeah. a lot of people feel uncomfortable and a bit taken aback by actually, like like Kevin was saying, which I love, just downloading YouTube sounds of an airport. Well, that was an excellent example. And yeah. there's so much material out there that can help you in, in creating this environment where you feel like you're in the space that you're designing for. Yeah, there, there is. And I mean, it has to be, if you look at the, you've got to look at the video um, that Kevin shared where he's testing the, the car entertainment system where, you know, his colleague is literally shaking his chair and he's kind of trying to touch <laughs> um, a screen taped to a, a, a board in front of him. Um, it, look, it looks hilarious. It is hilarious. It's fun. And it mm-hmm. does make you feel maybe uncomfortable um, acting out, you know, this is this is very playful design, mm. um, and and maybe you're not as used to doing that kind of playful work, um, but um, you know, but it's fine. It's 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 lo-fi. It, it it allows you to learn things, mm. and maybe allows you to build a second prototype that that can teach you or uh, make you aware of other aspects of it. Yeah, but I, I think. We don't all need to be working with, with museums or, or in-car systems or, or airplanes to, to make use of the physical prototyping. Um, I mean, I, I was really surprised in the spring. I, I went and observed some people using one of the products I work on. And I was amazed to see that they had their, their screens um, on their edges. So in, um, in, in portrait mode rather than landscape mode. These, these are desktop right, okay, yeah. computers. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't really know that at all. Um, and then I went back and looked at some of the data and realised there was a group of a cohort of people who who did have their their monitors on their edges. Um, and you know, design wise, yeah, it could cope with that, but it wasn't something we'd had as a target environment. Mm. 
that that context wasn't part of our discussions really. Yeah. Um, so so even even designing a web app, um, working in a browser for enterprise, I can still see how. I can prototype, I can make physical prototypes or use screens in different ways to, to, to mm. recreate their workspaces to help me design better. Yeah. I mean, even act out, I mean, if you're using a device where you are carrying a child, like it was saying, or carrying a bag, in those scenarios, you need to be able to use uh, the interface one-handedly, which is a lot of... A lot of designers don't think about unless they act it out. Yeah, and yeah, left hand, right hand. We've we've um, there's so many there's so many levels to this from from yeah. simple reaching across screens to edges, um, all the way through to shaking chairs and and having cardboard and and sticking things to it. Please subscribe to the show if you don't already. There are some great shows in our back catalogue. Um, a good one to listen to next, perhaps, would be episode 188, where um, we talk to two designers from Cone about designing elevators. Give you to physical space. Oh, yeah. And links related to this episode are on uxpodcast.com, as per usual. And we also send them out as part of our backstage email. So sign up at uxpodcast.com slash backstage. Thank you for spending some time with us. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock. Who's there? Dwayne. Dwayne who? Dwayne the bathtub. I'm drowning. <laughs>